Our Bible reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 to 16. Let's hear what God says to us this morning from his word. And I'm going to use a piece of paper that I've slipped in here with larger print. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll resume our series in the book of Genesis, which we've been looking at uh, in previous years. Uh, We've been going through Genesis and then John, uh, term in and term out. Uh, But these next couple of weeks are just going to be a a couple of one-offs, and uh, I've been reading through Philippians recently and was being struck by uh, the goodness of uh, particularly this chapter. Uh, and this section. So that's why we're looking at it today. I'm going to pray uh, before we take a bit of a deeper dive into it. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that the same Holy Spirit who lives in those of us who are trusting in Christ might be agitating in us to love you more and to grow our faith. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I typed in recently, this week, New Year's resolutions onto Google. Uh, guess how many uh, hits I got? 115 million hits. So I went through each and every one, uh, and that's why I'm a little tired. Uh, but there were oodles and oodles uh, of tips and suggestions. Uh, it's clearly a big, big thing uh, for a lot of people. Uh, New Year's resolutions, uh, with suggestions like build a better budget, read more books, drink less alcohol, take the stairs, uh, consider therapy, shave a cat. Uh, actually, that wasn't there. I just made that up. But there were an equal number of sites noting how most people don't keep New Year's resolutions when they make them. This is a real issue. Uh, and so there were a bunch of advice about how to make sure you can keep your New Year's re- resolution. But there were also the occasional site that were more up my alley. Uh, sites with titles like The Case Against New Year's Resolutions. Uh, or my personal favourite, uh, New Year's Resolutions Suck. Because so often, New Year's resolutions are based on something we don't really want, right? Uh, Like the classic, do more exercise. Well, if we really wanted to, we would have done it before now. Uh, We all make time for what we really want to do, right? And what we really want, generally it comes from what really matters to us, what's important to us. And so while one person... Uh, might resolve to save up and buy a brand new red sports car because being cool is important to them. Another will buy a 21-year-old gold-coloured Mazda 323 because they think being uncool is important to them. I don't know who owns that car. But here's what I think is the real reason New Year's resolutions don't really work or generally aren't satisfying. It's because they're mostly about us and our happiness and what we think is important. But the Bible's got a a radically different and totally counterintuitive option to the New Year's resolution. Die to yourself and live for Jesus. Which is where the Apostle Paul is taking us uh, in this passage today, I reckon. Showing us firstly, by showing that uh, everything else is filth compared to knowing Jesus anyway. And so secondly, the best life then is dying to this one and striving to obey him. So, first up, everything is filth compared to knowing Jesus. Now, this uh, this letter, Philippians, it's arguably Paul's happiest letter, despite the fact he's in prison, he's had a friend almost die on him, he's been hounded by people trying to stir up trouble against him, Paul rejoices. He rejoices in his prayers that the uh, Christians at Philippi at the time are partnering with him in his work in the gospel. He rejoices in their consistent support for him and his genuine affection for them. He rejoices that the gospel is being preached because of him, despite the differing motives of those that are preaching it. He rejoices in the Philippians' prayers for him and the help of the Holy Spirit. He rejoices in the sacrifices he has made for the Philippian Christians so that they know and love Jesus more. And for all this, he wants the Philippians and us to Join him in his joy. And he says as much there in uh, chapter 3 of verse 1, right? Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul's obviously written to the Philippians before about the goodness of Jesus, not just to encourage them in their faith, but to actually keep them safe, right? 
But safe from what? Well, from being tempted to put our confidence in the flesh, from drawing our confidence and sense of rightness from anything other than Jesus. Temptations that in Paul's day were peddled by false teachers or dogs and mutilators of the flesh, as he calls them there in verse 2. People who thought you had to be Jewish to be Christian. But from verse 4, uh, Paul lays out his own impressive Jewish credentials. You know, circumcised according to the law, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, a zealous, law-abiding Pharisee, all things that from a worldly point of view at the time, and for those around about him, uh, anybody would have been pretty happy to lay claim to. And, and nobody would have batted an eyelid if they drew confidence from them. But Paul says these things, these, these status symbols and accomplishments and anything else that might promise the good life, they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus. As he says in verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Compared to knowing Jesus, Paul considers everything else a loss. More than that, he thinks everything else is garbage. Now, the Greek word translated garbage here, it's what, back in the day, it was quite a crass and vulgar word. The word garbage doesn't really capture it. I can remember a certain principal uh, preaching on this passage to a bunch of us Bible colleges uh, students many years ago. He had come in, he was preaching on this passage, and he came to this word, and he apologised ahead of time what he was about to say, because while he thought it was being faithful to the Bible, he realised that the word he was going to use uh, would be offensive to some. And so he wanted to say, Paul says here that compared to knowing Jesus, he considers everything else as crap. Now, to be honest, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> because while the word crap uh, may offend some, I suspect for the majority of, us, of Aussies, it's just a bit of a nothing, boring word, uh, like nice or hashtag. Uh, so, I don't think it quite captures the edginess of the word that Paul uses. The best word, I think, starts with an S and ends in a T. And this is what Paul considers everything else to be compared to knowing Jesus. Everything that was once a badge of honour, that would have been the envy of others, everything that many in his time would have been as completely legitimate grounds for confidence in the world, that he was hitting home runs at life, that he was living the good life, Paul considers it as scubola. Now, you thought I was going to say the other word, didn't you? No, but that's the Greek word, scubala. Scubala, I said it wrong earlier, scubala. And he considers it this so that he might gain Christ. Verse 8 again, I consider them scubala, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, nothing, nothing comes close to knowing Jesus. 
Because as he says earlier in his letter, chapter 2, there's eternal encouragement from being united with Christ by faith in him. To believe in him is to know his love, is to know the love of God, a a love that, that suffered on that cross to forgive us and make us right with God, to make us righteous. A love that's applied directly to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The very same Holy Spirit who dwells in those who are trusting in Christ. The Spirit who unites us to Christ and to his Father. The Spirit who then enfolds us in, into a fellowship with God Almighty. Who enriches us with his tenderness and his compassion. And it's, it's all this, this, this righteousness with God, this sweet relationship with God that Paul knew was his through faith in Jesus and knowing God more and more by following this God who loved him so by following in Jesus' footsteps of knowing more and more what what true life is, you know, a life that Jesus' resurrection from the dead points to and kind of acts like a magnet for all those united to him by the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit who pulls us into eternal life with Christ through suffering the loss of this life lived for ourselves. Pulls us into a life like Christ, a life given over to others. With the sure hope of sharing with Christ in the eternal resurrection, life in the new age beyond this one. This life, true life, life that endures, the one truly good life in Jesus is what drives Paul to know Jesus more and more, which starts by considering everything else that gets in the way of that as filth, as scubala. No matter how good it might seem, or or actually is, if it gets in the way of knowing and loving Jesus, it's actually just a polished turd. And it should be considered as such, as Paul did. So what might it be that we're pursuing currently to get the good life? What are we investing in that we think will raise our life from the dead, so to speak? Maybe it's maybe it's the same as our New Year's resolution. Having a better budget, making more money, reading more books, drinking less alcohol, doing more exercise, having therapy. Shaving a cat. It's worth asking, are or will these things get in the way of knowing Jesus more? Because everything is filth compared to knowing Jesus more and more. And to know Jesus more, it's to obey him. Which brings us to the second point. The best life is dying to this one to obey Jesus. As Paul goes on from verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, that is, knowing Christ perfectly, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul knew the best life he could have was the one that Christ took hold of him to have. And so he presses on to take hold of that life, a life of knowing Jesus more, of knowing Jesus' resurrection life at work in his own life, a life dead to sin, a life dead to the trappings of this world, a life that suffers the loss of what might even be good things in this life, for what is the best thing, which is knowing Jesus more by obeying him. 
a life that Paul or we, we won't know perfectly in this life, but it's a life worth straining to take hold of because it will be ours in the next age, as Paul says from verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The goal and the prize Paul presses on to win is upward in Christ Jesus. It's not of this life down here and now, but of the next life upon Jesus' return. We're being perfect in and with Christ will not only be the goal and promise of our salvation now, but it will be our everyday experience and our unending joy. The other day I uh, I watched a boy's face uh, light up with pure joy after he made his dad laugh. You ever seen that? It's delightful, isn't it? It's delightful to have the joy of pleasing someone you admire and and love and respect. Well, that's the goal of Jesus dying to forgive our sins. It's so that we might know the joy of being able to please God. A joy that will be unfettered in the new heavens and the new earth, but it's a joy that we can know even now as we follow Paul's pattern here in verse 13 where he says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind. What's behind? What's behind us? It's our past, isn't it? All of it. The last day, the last week, the last year, the last however many years, Paul says forget it. The the accomplishments and the failures of the past, they don't get to dictate whether or not you have the best life from here on in. Because the best life, it's not dependent on our past sins or our past wins. Whether your last holiday was good or bad doesn't determine whether you live the good life from here on in or not. Whether you got or lost a job doesn't determine whether you live the good life or not. Whether your family is a mess or a dream doesn't determine whether you live the good life or not. Whether you screwed up monumentally last year or failed to love those that you should have, those don't determine whether you live the good life or not. The good life, the best life, is obeying Jesus perfectly and that life is one that's coming. Not one that has been. We can't obey Jesus in the past. The past has come and gone. The past is dead. The best future is in perfectly obeying Jesus and so that's what Paul models for us to strive towards now while we wait for him. To strive to know Jesus more by obeying him which will mean enjoying something of the power of his resurrection now by participating in his sufferings as we live for others at cost to ourselves and by becoming like him in his death as we humble ourselves to suffer loss in obeying Christ more in this life for the joy set before us in the next. There's a practice in professional counselling called Solutions Focused Therapy, uh, SFT for short. SFT is a future-orientated, goal-directed approach to solving problems. The focus uh, is on someone's health rather than their problem, 
uh, on their strengths rather than their weaknesses, on their skills, resources and coping abilities that will help them to reach future goals. So with a therapist's help, you'd search through your life experiences and behaviours to find the needed resources to construct a practical and sustainable solution that you can quickly put in place. It's kind of like a supercharged version of a New Year's resolution. The possible danger with this therapy, though, is that whatever goal someone lands on to pursue, if it doesn't involve obeying Jesus, it's doomed to fail. Or at the very least, it's going to be fleeting and ultimately dissatisfying and even dangerous. It might get us what we want in the short term, but in the process, it'll be shooting ourselves in the foot for the eternal long term. Because the best future is perfectly obeying Jesus. So it makes sense then to strive after that here and now and to want to strive after that no matter how counterintuitive it might seem to us at times. One of the clearest and most well-known commands of Jesus is love your neighbour as yourself, right? Everyone knows that. Uh, The great Christian thinker, Soren Kierkegaard, he wrote a book, uh, Works of Love in large part, just unpacking that one command. And as he goes, as he goes on, he suggests some very counterintuitive things. Stand out for me, uh, is that in the grief of losing a loved one, the one grieving, he recommends, rather than wallow in their loss, should go and love their neighbour in some way instead. Now, when I first read that, I thought it was quite insensitive. But the more that I pondered on it, Uh, the more I've been challenged to reckon with my convictions over Jesus' command. Do I actually trust him and want to know him more as the best way of doing life or not? And trust that obeying him is not only the best way to know him more, but the way to enjoy the eternal solution in the face of temporary problems. I wonder what grief or problem or deficit or hope that we're looking to fix or fill with a worldly solution today. I wonder what we're focusing on over Jesus to have the good life, or at least claw back some of it. I think for many, work is just such a massive part of our lives, because it not only puts food on the table, it gives us a sense of being useful, might even be the place where you get most of your affirmation, and it can provide us with a status and an identity. It's where we see as much of the good life we can imagine coming from, which is perhaps why many of us to sacrifice so many other things for our work. I certainly have, particularly over this last year. But to do less work might feel like being negligent and and, and useless. It might please people less and challenge our own sense of identity, but it's precisely perhaps what we need to do to obey Jesus and love our families more. wonder if that's the case for you too. Maybe it's not your work. Maybe it's something else in your life that's getting in the way of obeying Jesus and so knowing him more. A relationship? Friendship? A friendship group? A lavish lifestyle? A hobby? Sport? Game? Technology? These things are good things in and of themselves. They're not bad. But if they're more to us than knowing and obeying Jesus, then we're setting ourselves up to lose out on the best life. Because everything else is filth 
compared to knowing Jesus, the best life then is dying to ourselves in this one and striving to obey him toward the next. And I'm going to pray now that that would be the case for us, not only this year, but for the rest of our life. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your immense goodness and kindness to us in Jesus. Please help us to see that nothing compares to knowing Jesus as our Lord. That everything else is indeed skubala. And that we would be prepared to give it up. Give up whatever it is that might be getting in the way of knowing Jesus more and obeying him. And that you would set a fire in our hearts by your spirit to strive to know him more by obeying him and enjoying now the best life that we can possibly have by doing so. While we wait for the new age where we will be unfettered by sin and suffering to enjoy for all eternity the wonder and goodness of perfectly obeying Christ our Saviour and Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.